30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard The word spirit comes to us from the Latin spiritus, meaning breath. More metaphysically, Spirit has long been seen as the animating or vital principle in humans and animals. But are those really the only places where spirits animate this world? Over the last 150 years, the word spirit has brought to life mass movements of human beings, blowing through waves of faddish seances, spooky philosophies, and the new age chic of general, all-purpose spirituality. We humans are clearly moved by the idea or experience of a world that exists somehow beyond our own, not limited in the same ways we are by our corporeal form. Whether we see these spirits as deceased humans, interdimensional beings, aliens, or other abstractions, nearly all magical practices make a space for them, metaphorically in their ideologies and cosmologies, and quite literally as altars and dedicated spaces for communing with spirits through offerings and prayer. Our guest today, Mallory Vaudois, first appeared on this podcast last year to discuss a particular form of spirit near and dear to us all, our ancestors. But now we're expanding beyond dear old great Aunt Geraldine into the wider world of ethereal beings, things, and all the spirits in between. Mallory is the author of the new book, Honoring Your Ancestors, a practitioner of Italian folk magic, and an initiate in the African diasporic traditions of Kimbanda and Santeria. Through these practices, she's explored a number of entry points into the spirit world surrounding us and joins the ritual today to help us tune in together as we learn how to speak with spirits. Well, hello, Mallory. Hello, Devin. Welcome back to Ritual Space. Oh, thank you for having me. You are our first recurring guest. This is very exciting. Yeah, and it's good to be back. Yeah, it's been about a year. It has, and your setup has evolved our, so much. Our podcast has gotten slightly better, <laughs> which is the point of the ritual. So, hey, the magic's working. Speaking of magic, what's our magic word going to be? The magic word for today, full of infinite potential, is seed. Beautiful. One, two, three. Seed. seed. Why seed? Well, while you were coming over today, I decided to open up a pomegranate and, you know, get a couple snacks going, a little bit of chocolate, some cashews, some pomegranate seeds. Some light hosting. Yeah, you know, you're coming all the way here to Astoria today, and I appreciate that. Um, And I was thinking about the Greek myth of Persephone and her descent into the underworld because, uh, you know, it's late October right now, Samhain's coming up and uh, we're all kind of feeling our energy going back into the earth, into the underworld, connecting with our ancestors and with the land. And I was thinking about Persephone eating those pomegranate seeds and wondering to myself, why 
did the ancient Greeks associate the pomegranate with the underworld. Mm -hmm. And as I was tearing open this fruit, I was confronted with all of these teeny tiny seeds all packed in together, jammed up right against one another. And the way in which the walls of the fruit, the fibers that hold them together are just sort of, you know, jutting out at these weird curves and angles. It's almost like a honeycomb kind of thing. Almost, but like honeycombs are so regular. Yeah. And the pomegranate, I don't know if it's regular because it just seems so overwhelming and Mm -hmm. and crazy to me when I look at it. Um, And in that moment, I had this vision of the underworld as this, you know, strange place with this non-Euclidean geometry and the seeds were all the souls of the dead uh, the hundreds, the thousands, the millions of them all, you know, standing on these odd cave cavernous surfaces. Uh, and I thought to myself, oh, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little soul pod. It is. It is. And yet the seed, you know, it's full of, of infinite potential. It, it, it It's all of the plant in one teeny tiny mm-hmm. and very resilient uh, package. Yeah, the, the, the seed is so, it's, it's like, it's the program. And then it, it, it knows how to write everything else that comes out of it and pull the resources in. But it's so mind-blowing that, like, that information can just be in this one little juicy, juicy treat. Absolutely. As a kid, uh, well, I was very into the mythology as a kid and did not know, what I had not had pomegranates. And I remember specifically my mom went out and, like, got a pomegranate so we could have it and... Yeah, that was like, it's it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. It is. I think that that's something that's unique about the pomegranate itself. You know, it's a fruit that we eat the seeds of. We don't eat the fruit itself. It's not a grab and go. It's no. Like- <laughs> <laughs> and it's so much labor and you can, you know, you really do have to eat them bit by bit because if you get a whole bunch of them in your mouth, it's just kind of bitter and yeah. really, really crunchy. Mm-hmm. So it's this, um, it's this thing that we can only really appreciate in small quantities, which is also incidentally how I was taught uh, in in my religious traditions, um, in the Orisha tradition uh, from Cuba and in Kimbanda from Brazil, uh, to make offerings to the dead is uh, that you can't give them a giant table of offerings that you're usually only able to give them like a little taste at a time that there's it's like there's this membrane between us and them and no matter how much you're giving in the moment there's only so much that can get over to the other side just snacking just a little amuse-bouche to 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 transcend the boundary yes exactly a taste a taste so we're going to talk today about transcending that boundary and uh chit-chatting with the spirit world Absolutely. So how do you chit-chat with the spirit world? Is there like a hotline? It's like local spirits are are waiting right now to get on the phone and chat. Hot local spirits want to talk to you (laughs) right now. Only only 89 cents a minute. (laughs) Um, Well... So I have spent a lot of time in over the course of my life talking to people who are interested in magic and in occultism and uh, witchcraft and, mm-hmm. and all of those lovely things. And I think one thing that I've noticed is for those of us who are coming into those spaces, thinking about those topics for the first time from a materialist cultural background, there's this assumption that spirits are remote. Um, Mm. that they're 
not in contact with us mm-hmm. and that we need to go and find uh, you know, some kind of secret code in order to be able to summon down celestial spirits or summon up demons or uh, start worshiping ancient pagan gods who so like tune in on the radio. It's like it's like it's a channel that's not the one that we're on. Exactly, exactly. Um, and that's all well and good if that's what you're into. But also, I think it overlooks the fact that we are in contact with spirits every day of our lives. Uh, we are in contact with the spirits of our ancestors. You know, they, they dwell in our bones. They are a part of us and we're a part of them. Mm -hmm. And we are constantly surrounded by, enveloped by the spirits of place wherever we are, whether that's in our home or out in a park or walking down the street or in an office setting. I always love thinking about that. Like, like we're an apartment that you've moved into recently who lived here before, who lived here before that. Like what, you know, what parties have been in this space? What, like this this room holds that energy in some some way, whether you want to think of that as a literal energy or a metaphorical energy, but it's still so fascinating, these histories of, you know, especially in New York, like these are sidewalks that people have walked on for a long, long, long mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and then beneath the sidewalk, the mm-hmm. earth yep. where, you know, there's people and other, other beings mm-hmm. buried, uh, the spirits of the land itself, the spirits of the natural materials that were used to construct this building. I mean, everything's made out of something that lived and died or has just been bouncing around this whole time. Uh, totally, totally. And likewise, we experience place... Uh, through the lens of time. Mm -hmm. And so the spirits of this place, we know them based on, you know, what they're like at dawn, what they're like at sunset, what they're like at high noon or at midnight. And so there's always this kind of intersection that's happening between space and time that influences our understanding of, you know, what this apartment is, what is its vibe. Yeah, because we're experiencing that small, small sliver that we call the right now. And moving into this next moment of possibility and that's a very interesting i i'm losing the thread of what i'm trying to say but um (laughs) well we're just we're hoping to catch a glimpse of the next moment is what's happening Mm -hmm. right now we'll find the thread (laughs) we'll find the thread in the next moment yeah coming coming soon um likewise i did not actually prepare anything for this podcast so this is a very very casual conversation about some things that have just been kind of on my mind lately um so you know, with regard to spirits of place and, and time and the way that we perceive them, these are also really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, because this is kind of the, the lens through which we're experiencing reality, through which we're experiencing the incarnate plane. So we've got our ancestors, we've got spirits of place, we've got our own spirit, which mm-hmm. is manifest right now in a physical body. And all of these are here. We're interacting with them, whether we're aware of it or not. And so even if you do ultimately decide you want to be calling down angels, summoning up demons, or talking to ancient gods, uh, in order to get to the point where you're able to do that, you first need to be able to navigate your local neighborhood Mm -hmm. and deal with your family and deal with your own shit too. So it seems like what you're saying is that we're in communication with these things all the time and it's not always the um, 
the obvious communication that we would expect of I'm sitting down at the Ouija board to have the conversation, but we're being influenced, whether it's the way our ancestors are moving through us and we're manifesting these habits and things that have come down in our genetic lineage or the time and space of the places that we're in is shifting our mood and we're not consciously aware that that's this interaction that's happening because we're so used to from the materials perspective thinking of it as like when you turn on the tv then it's on and you're receiving the signal absolutely yeah and i think you know the the apparatus through which we're able to perceive spirits is the same apparatus through which we perceive the movements of our own spirits so our own emotions our own feelings our own dreams Mm -hmm. and consequently you know where do i end and where does the world begin where does the spirit world begin that's actually a really complicated question and one which in theory i don't think there is actually an answer to it's more of a spectrum from one to the other yeah like someone says something mean and then somebody else's feelings are hurt and where do you draw that boundary between like i received the message and then i processed it and then my feelings were hurt when it's really just one continuous stream because i'm i could have misheard you i thought mm-hmm. you said something horribly rude but you didn't and my feelings were hurt and so that message didn't even actually come from you it it was always me so that line is sort of continuous and blurry rather than neatly segmented into sender in transit received yeah, totally. And and even if you said something mean to me, why did you say it? Was it because you were hurting? Exactly. Am I now hurting because you were hurting? And so did that person hurt you or is it the fault of the the person at the coffee shop that hurt the person who's now hurting you? It's like that like like the Newton's cradle where the the you know the executive desk toy where it's the balls that bounce off each other. We're all ping-ponging around. Yeah, yeah. We're all constantly in communication with one another and sometimes it's verbal, sometimes it's nonverbal. And uh, that goes between, you know, us as incarnate beings and the spirit world as well. Now, this perspective that you're sharing, is this something that you found in some of those traditions that you mentioned, that this is how they frame the spirit world? Or is this your own your own take that you've come to um, just from your life experience? It's a bit of both. My mm-hmm. life experience has been fundamentally shaped by my, you know, the peak experiences that I've had within these traditions. Uh, I am a different person for having gone through these rituals, for having seen the things that I've seen, for having, uh, you know, been taught the way that I've been taught. Uh, Can you share some of those experiences? Um, I mean, we don't need to get into anything too, too private, but I think just to give a paint a picture of, of, of what your background is in the work that you've done. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it started for me in exploring my own ancestral traditions. Uh, I am from an Italian-American family, and so I started studying the music and the dance of that region with a woman named Alessandra Belloni Mm -hmm. and got to travel to Italy, got to see, you know, the music in its proper context uh, in the on the land and interacting with the spirits there and uh, hearing phenomenal local musicians and getting to dance with people uh, while drinking the wine and eating the food was it's just fantastic there's no way to beat it Um, and I got to also start doing some of my own research and seeing um, 
what the history of those traditions were and how what is now primarily uh, a social dance, sometimes a therapeutic dance, was rooted in a worldview which included an understanding of the spirit world uh, and particularly spirits of the dead and how dance was a way to uh, interact with them, to become overcome by them. Um, one might even say possessed by them or mounted by them uh, so that they mounted can work out their them. issues. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's like I'm like picturing like a little ghost like on your shoulders, like riding around, holding your hair like reins. Yeah, I mean, that's not that's not completely inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that uh, was sort of reinforced by seeing traditions similar to that, which are still very active today. Uh, today, the music and the dance is very well preserved in Southern Italy and Sicily. The spiritual components of it, the wisdom that goes along with it, is I think it's still out there. It's much more private, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've met people who were doing something that was a little bit more than a social dance, uh, but it's not like they're recruiting. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I also started having experiences with people who, uh, were initiates in African traditional religions or Afro-diasporic traditions, such as I mentioned earlier, Kimbanda, which is an Afro-Brazilian mediumship tradition and, uh, La Regla de Ocha or Orisha religion or Lukumi or Santeria, however you want to call it, um, which is an Afro-Cuban religious tradition which is devoted to the worship of the Orishas. And so through those experiences, I started to uh, have more of an informed way of understanding the things that I was uh, experiencing myself. Um, And they have very much fundamentally shaped the way that I view the world, the work that I do and what my own creative work is. And so I do have to always give props to my teachers, Alessandra, as I mentioned earlier, and my teachers in the Afro um, diasporic traditions, uh, Baba Jose and Jesse Hathaway Diaz um, for the work that they've done. So in like there's this animus take where there's, you know, spirits are all around us and almost vague because there's just you know, they're not um, quantized. They're not like individual segments. How do you move from that into one where the spirits are more singular and identified as this is that spirit and this is a different spirit and I'm going to interact with one of those specifically and intentionally? Well, I think it comes down to why are you doing that? For Mm -hmm. me personally, and this Mm -hmm. is just my take on it, um, which is that if we can't prove definitively because there's no there's no like equipment that's going to be able to measure this and to categorize it for us. Ulti- the Ghostbusters spectrometer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have a Ghostbusters spectrometer, unfortunately. Um, and maybe even if we did, that wouldn't be the most useful thing for us. It wouldn't help us, um, you know, live our lives any better. Oh, we shouldn't be um, playing white noise backwards. To, that's <laughs> not the technique we're going to get to today. Um, what it comes down to for me, though, is is more of a dance and more of an experimentation. And, you know, if I'm looking at this cluster of phenomena and trying to uh, decide is it is it this or is it that is it spirit in the kind of general mm-hmm. sense of a, a kind of like ocean of spirits a collective or is it an individual spirit well 
which of those approaches is going to help me to interact with it better? Or if I treat it like my own subconscious, for mm-hmm. example, like, is it going to respond well to that? Or is it going to respond well to uh, here you have a name, you have an image, you have maybe a color and a number associated with yourself and, uh, you know, certain things that you like. And when I give you the things that you like, you are happy. Yeah. Um, so when I'm approaching, you know, in my, in my personal life phenomena, I'm not so uh, hubristic as to think that I'm going to come up with the ultimate nature of reality, but I am going to be trying different things. Oh, damn, things. I was hoping that I was, you would finally reveal the secret. <laughs> well, that's the secret, right? Is you try stuff yeah. and you see what works. And as you know, because you're in the tech industry too, mm-hmm. uh, you try a bunch of stuff and you fail fast and then you move on and you yep. learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, iterate, iterative spirit work. Iterative spirit work, exactly. Well, I think that's kind of, I mean, that's how we've gotten these things is that people have tried things over time and they accumulate and they sort of, it's like that ball that's like rolling down the hill and it's picking up the other things. And some of the stuff in there is really valuable and works and it's techniques that are great. Other stuff is kind of random debris that gets added on. And so the spirit is like, I don't care about green, but I guess everyone thinks I do now. Um, my, My fiance, everyone gets her unicorn stuff for her birthday it's been going on since she was a kid and I finally asked her I was like "Did you? were you into unicorns and she was like no somebody got me a thing and then it became a thing and now it's like accumulated over time so we have a bunch of unicorn stuff in our house because once you have that thing that's associated that's then a way that people can connect with something right I know you like this I saw this in a store I'm going to get it for you oh I know this spirit is connected to this I saw this symbol ah, that spirit must be engaging, or this is just an invitation to think about that spirit. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you have books involved, something gets published in a book, and then it gets cited by other books, and it propagates that way, regardless of whether it was true before. Now it's a part of the the kind of collective wisdom. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the circular footnotes, like yeah. the... Um, how they got us into the Iraq war by leaking information to the New York Times and then citing the New York Times article as the proof of it. Yeah, if you make up a pseudonym, you can just endlessly cite yourself. Uh, Totally. And then on the other hand, within oral tradition, uh, you may find people who, you know, are continuing a tradition that they think is universal, but which is really either specific to their lineage or maybe even a taboo that their initiator had, something that was personal to the person who trained them. Copying errors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the things that's so interesting about oral traditions and ritual is they're both ways to preserve information fidelity. If you have uh, something that rhymes, it's going to stay accurate more than a story that is just loose and freeform. And if you have to do the ritual the exact right way, and that's how you're trained and brought into a tradition, that hopefully is the idea ensures that the next generation is doing something that's very close to what was originally done and you're not losing the things that you found that work because one bad teacher fudged it yeah and i think it's it's miraculous that we do have tradition to fall back on i mean the fact that there are certain things that you can do and you know you just have to follow the instructions really specifically and have mm-hmm. the right materia present and you know do it well 
uh, that's miraculous, but then it doesn't account for everything. It doesn't account for the way that spirit moves through the world. It doesn't account for the fact that there was a first time that that ritual was ever performed. Um, nothing, <laughs> nothing is going to, you know, predate the universe here. Right. Or like, yeah, like, like when is the first time that ritual is performed? Because the earliest version probably doesn't look anything like the current version. And so when, like, when does that actually fully come together? Like when someone writes a song, when does it go from them strumming out chords that are not the song to the polished version that is on the album? It's just a long, messy transition. Yeah. And the way in which a song is uh, recorded or then uh, covered after the initial recording can completely change the meaning of it. Mm -hmm. I was reading an interview with Angel Olsen earlier Mm -hmm. today because I've been really into her uh, latest album. And she was talking about one of the songs. She initially recorded it completely earnestly. And it's this, you know, really over the top love song. And then when they re-recorded it, the version that ended up on the album actually sounds crazy. It sounds like she's going to murder someone (laughs) because she did it in a completely different tone and just put a completely different spin on the same words. And so those words of undying devotion and love went from something very sweet and earnest uh, to something that had a completely different meaning just based on the way that she was kind of inflecting it and the way that she was, you know, using her voice. Yeah, that's another like that's another different kind of take on spirit of like the spirit of the energy of the thing that you're doing. Like, what is the the style that you're approaching it? Are you taking the piss or are you being very serious or somber or melodramatic? Like what? How are you communicating that information? Mm, And that it does ultimately come back to the breath, Mm -hmm. spirit and inspiration coming from the same root, which refers to our breath. Mm-hmm. So the use of the voice, the use of tone, the use of breath uh, is extraordinarily important, whether you're recording a song or whether you're trying to talk to your ancestors or whether you're trying to, uh, you know, coming back to one of our examples from earlier, trying to summon down an angel. Yeah. Yeah. You got to you got to breathe into it. Exactly. Yeah. So in your in your daily life, I'm curious, how do you how does talking to spirits manifest in terms of practices or um, just ways that this comes to you in the day to day? Well, I am for the most part very minimalist in my household practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through a period in my life where I really loved the the accoutrement of magic, um, whether that was you know a ritual knife or just a bunch of herbs and, and spices. Uh, and now I've kind of stepped back from that a little bit. There are still definitely things that I, I really love about the physical world. Obviously I really love rose water. I really love frankincense. I really love, uh, you know, generally things that smell nice. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of breathing in, got to breathe it in. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of my actual practice these days, um, I try not to let, expectations around what a ritual should be or what it should look like based on, uh, you know, what I've heard other people talking about or based on even my own historic experiences get in the way of me being present in the moment and, you know, being open to inspiration, open to messages, open to, um, you know, whatever it is, is coming through in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, earlier today, I 
I'd been thinking a lot about how I've been giving my ancestors a lot of coffee. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the only thing that I have been offering to them at their altar is just like a coffee in the morning when I'm drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. And during that same period where all a, that a, I was... But a tiny coffee. Tiny, yeah. I give yeah. them a little bit. Like a little espresso cup? Yep. I, I brew it up in my French press and then I give them the heads and the tails. Ah. Um, so the first little pour and then I pour my yeah. cup and then I give them the last bit of it. And um, I fix it the way that I drink it, which is milk, no sugar. Yeah. Um, and then give it to them on their altar. And... Uh, during the same period where that was all that they were getting for me because I wasn't cooking a lot. I wasn't home a lot. Mm. Um, that was, uh, I was starting to drink way too much coffee myself and getting like jittery during the day and, uh, running myself ragged. I was feeling really exhausted and burnt out, um, and wasn't really taking care of myself. So today I was like, you know what? I am not going to take any coffee and I'm going to offer them something else. I'm going to give them something that they haven't had in a while. So I went out and I got them a bouquet of flowers mm. and um, a bunch of very seasonal looking gourds over there to celebrate the harvest. Um, and sure enough, that did kind of like help me to to ground myself. And it, it sort of um, forced me to look at the way I was using uh, coffee as a way to get myself through a period where maybe I should be resting more, maybe I should be more grounded, maybe mm-hmm. I should be um, focused more on, on I guess, self-care. I mean, and it's a seasonal change, too, because we've just passed the hard labor of summer, and now it's decorative gourd season, motherfucker. And we got to get our cozy fall vibes and, and ground things out. Uh, absolutely. And it's actually the 10-year anniversary of that McSweeney's internet tendency article. That's so funny. There's, I, I love that there's this like, there's there's the spirits of fall that have found uh, physical form in memes. Well, I guess semi-physical form because there's like annual seasonal memes now. My friend declared October to be Tears for Fears month, I think almost 10 years ago as well. And that's just become a recurring joke among this like friend group. And sure enough, October 1st rolls around. There's like a bunch of posts that people are like, it's tears for fears, baby, like posting YouTube videos and getting into it. Um, I love the I, I, I love what you said about you're like, I'm giving them the coffee the way that I drink it. And I was like, it's so funny to think about like, you know, different sides of your ancestral lineage. And there's some that are like, this is great. And the others like, oh, she's still putting milk in it. I'm a sugar black or whatever their preference might be. But it all comes streamlined into you and your preference and you are the tip of the the spear i'm the one who's alive today ultimately exactly so yeah I, I get to make these types of calls yeah. uh, in more formal environments i might i might fix it both ways i might do like one that's just black and one that's um uh light and with sugar and that's something that i've seen in in ritual spaces when we're doing um orisha ritual we will usually uh, no we'll, we'll always for big things make sure to feed egun feed mm-hmm. the dead of both you know our our biological ancestors and the ritual dead as well before we do that um and usually the you know we'll do two cups of coffee just in case yeah. somebody has a preference so do you feel like you kind of have two different modes of practice where there's a more i don't know if casual would be the right word but a more free form um intuitive just going through it and then you have these other traditions where it's like ah we're doing this and we have you know this is what we need to set out and it's not you can't decide to change the coffee out for the gourd on a whim it's like we got to do it the right way 
Absolutely. Yeah. There's, um, you know, there's your public practice. There's what you do within a community. There's what you're trained to be able to do um, and what you get to share with other people. Um, And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about uh, any organized religion, but particularly my my experience in um, these traditions is, uh, you know, there's an intimacy that comes with talking to somebody who has the same heteresia as you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if, you know, you're different gender, different sexuality, you're from different countries, you have different native tongues. Um, there's something about being a child of Oshun that I get to share with other children of Oshun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, something about, you know, my own spiritual life that, they're going to understand much better than even somebody who seems much more similar to me. And I think that's really beautiful. That's something that I thought a lot. Cause like, obviously I'm off the deep end in terms of dabbling from different things and kind of making it up as I go and trying to, trying to figure it out. And more and more I've realized that we do lack um, some structure that gives that coherence and community when everybody has a totally, you know, everyone's just reading books and coming up with the practice on their own you don't have that single reference point of like, oh, we can go to this person who's more experienced. We both can relate through that and we can have that connection and um, container of, of that space. Yeah. And it's something that I've been uh, bumming up against a lot as a big theme now that my book is out. I, I wrote a book honoring your ancestors, a guide to ancestral veneration. It came out in September. And, and we did a podcast for it a year ago. We did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was actually the podcast where I talked about the book in public for the first time. And now wow. it's you out there. say it out there. loud, you can make it happen. Exactly. <laughs> but now it's out there and people are reading it. And um, it's forced me to really look at, you know, what is, who is that book good for? And how does that book fit into a larger ecosystem wherein there are other players who have different understandings of spirit, different understandings of ancestors. Um, and, you know, ultimately, especially with the ancestors, it's such a personal thing. Right. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm very proud of creatively with the book is that it really is meant to be a mirror. It's not meant to be, you know, a set of instructions that you have to adopt mm-hmm. and do uh you know, even if they don't make sense for you, but rather it's a set of questions and prompts that help people to think through what their own situation is and how they can start to ritualize that and actualize it and become more conscious of the things that are already there, just unconscious. Yeah. I I, I love that lens because I think, you know, spirituality is another, you know, spirit word and it can be so vague and so commodified these days and it's like a thing that you have to purchase and the idea that instead you're really just thinking about your own history your own legacy and your role that you play within that and there's no way to you you can learn things from other people but there's no way to crib that because you are unique your ancestors are the exact combination that led to you and they might join I mean they absolutely join with other people's ancestors because we all got here somewhere but it's, it's, it's ultimately about you and it's ultimately about you figuring that out for yourself. Yeah. And even my relationship with these same ancestors is going to be different from my sisters. Yeah. Uh, we have, you know, we have different DNA. If we were to do DNA testing, we would have different uh, numbers that come back because yeah. we each only inherited half of mom and half of dad. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you would think mom and 
dad are, you know, we, we have a lot in common with them, but also like we only got half of each of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, even within the same nuclear family, you have one blood lineage, but so many different kind of combinations in the way that each individual within the household might be oriented towards that lineage that we've all emerged from uh, can be quite different. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I always think about the, the amazing race that leads to every human being of a bunch of sperm flying down and there's millions of them. There's millions of them. It's like, and then there's one that, that gets in and then that's the person you become. So like we're all lotto winners. Like we all beat out every other sperm to be the one that, that made it across the finish line. Yeah, but that's a very sperm centric. That's a very way sperm centric. No, I know. There's a lot of other factors involved, but just as one piece of the the swirl of probability that's coming in, just the fact that there's millions of them. There's mm-hmm. multiple eggs, and depends on when you know the intercourse is happening, and so on and so forth. But the eggs don't race in quite the same way. They're more of a a time drop, I guess. Yeah. A, an hourglass. <laughs> Well, let's get into our spell casting portion and figure out how we can uh, help other people talk to spirits. Ooh, good question. So I would like to make a recommendation to anybody who is interested in this type of work, which is to learn how to notice things. Uh, and so there's a couple of books that I really love for this. Um, there is The Art of Noticing, um, which is basically an art professor talking about all of his favorite exercises to give his students to get them to notice things. Um, and I think that there's... Is there an exercise in particular that you remember? Uh, oh, it's, it's stuff like, you know notice every yellow cab that you Mm. see and bring yourself back to conscious awareness Mm -hmm. when you see it. Um, Or things like, you know, take a different route to get home. And what do you notice when you switch things up like that? Um, So it's a lot of just these kind of exercises in consciousness, which, um, you know, when you're taking an art class, one thing that you notice if you're doing like portraits, for example, is... um, your, your greatest enemy is your assumption of what the thing you're trying to draw looks like. And your greatest ally is what it actually looks like. It's wow. your eyes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're, if you're drawing somebody's face, you might be surprised to learn that their eyes are actually about halfway down the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, most of us kind of associate them with being right up at the very top, which is yeah. why when kids draw faces, yeah. they're so, they look kind of wonky. You know, the proportions are mm-hmm. off. Um, and so learning to actually look and actually notice and actually feel is like the number one thing I think that we need to train ourselves to do, whether we're going to be talking to spirits or just feeling our own feelings or going to therapy or whatever it happens to be. Um, what do you think we could notice if we wanted to, to, to tune into the spirits that are around us? Like what would be a good noticing game that we could play to? find the spirits of the place that we're in or maybe the ones that are most active in our like 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 our local vicinity. Yeah, I'm a big fan of derive for this. Oh. Um so that? the practice of just wandering through a space. 
so what is this called derive derive yeah what is that where does that come from uh the situationist okay yeah yeah um so i think guy debord writes about Mm. it um and the idea is just to allow yourself to wander whether that's through a neighborhood or through your apartment but you're taking the path of least resistance Mm -hmm. through that space um and what i notice you know looking at this as an animist is that the path of least resistance is not necessarily the thing that is physically easiest for me to do although it often ends up being the same um but it is related to the spiritual ecology of that place what feels right maybe some little corner just doesn't quite feel okay or maybe it usually does but today on your way to work you realize you know what I absolutely do not want to walk by that door and I don't know why but I'm going to just cross the street anyway a little bit earlier than I usually do um and miss it Uh, so paying attention to that, like where are you being led unconsciously, um, can help you to notice the landscape better. That's so I, I remember one day where I was just like, so stuck in the routine of like, like just feeling that grind of like, wake up, go to work the same way. Like just that commute just was really grinding. And I was like, I want to take the power back. And I, I went the other way out of my house and I like took a weird path to the train and I ended up walking past uh, a fence that had a necklace hanging off of it and I now have that necklace and it was like such a funny surprise that came from that that wandering so I love that so let yourself wander go with the flow notice the things that are around you and see if any spirits take a little piggyback exactly awesome thank you Mallory thank you Devin for more of Mallory's work visit italianfolkmagic.com or pick up her book, Honoring Your Ancestors, wherever books are sold. And if you're curious about the lineages Mallory is a part of, you can find her Santeria godfather, Baba Jose Asindamande, on Instagram, at Orisa Beadwork, and her Kimbanda godfather, Jesse Hathaway Diaz, through the online occult shop, Wolf and Goat. And if you were feeling moved by the wily wizard spirit of this podcast as a ritual, then I suggest you print out a picture of this podcast cover art and make a little space for us on your magical altar. Because after all, every time you light a candle, a wizard gets their wand. Until next time, I'm Devin Person saying, do what you want to do. (laughs) 